Hi. How you all doing? I'm great, thanks. <laughs> well, welcome, guys. Um, first of all, I guess, congratulations on the success of the show. We got a little taste of it there. Um, and I guess maybe we'll just start with a little bit of a rundown of Soulmates and, and what it's about. And then we'll probably leave it there for a little bit and go through how you sort of got into making YouTube videos and how you sort of went into TV and then we'll come back to Soulmates at the end and, and discuss a little bit of that because then we Smart. can get a bit of context for how it all started. Um, so I guess um, my first question um, would, would be to you, Christian. I, I know you've probably told this story a, a million times, but um, the circumstances through which you actually started creating videos is, is quite unique and a little bit scary if you don't know the story. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I, um, back in... 2009 was traveling overseas and I got back um, from a trip in South America and a couple of weeks after getting home I started coughing blood at work um, and I ended up going into hospital um, and pretty much didn't leave for about six and a half months. Uh, I got diagnosed with multi-drug resistant tuberculosis which is like a pretty much a, a really scary evolution of um, tuberculosis and uh, while I was in hospital I kind of decided to interestingly enough start trying to learn how to use my MacBook Pro. That's not a, a deliberate plug of product but I'd literally just bought a MacBook a week before I got sick so started just playing around with GarageBand and... Um, what kind of MacBook did you get Christian? <laughs> it was a 13 inch one Nick. Ah. Yeah. The cheapest, but one Effective. still powerful and ah. good in hospital rooms. Yeah, great for quarantine. Yeah. Um, no, and then so just kind of in the process of trying to learn how to use this computer I just bought, um, made a really silly rap video, um, with the content of which was about being sick. And I did that to kind of entertain myself while I was in hospital, but a friend kind of said, oh, what have you been doing while you were here? And I said, oh, I made this you know, this video um, of myself rapping and he said, oh, can I see it? And I, I went to email it to him, but it was 140 meg, so I couldn't get it across an email. And he just said, no, you know, you can't email files that big. Um, you, why don't you just upload it to YouTube and send me a link? And so that's what I did. And then uh, I woke up the next morning, had a few thousand hits. Actually, the guy who first, who first called me in hospital, Dan Illick, is standing right there leaning on a... Everyone say hi to Dan Illick. All right, what a guy. And um, then I kind of just made my six months of hospital um, all about just making videos and learning how to do that. And my brother Connor, um, who had been studying film and was a stuntman at the time, kind of came in and spent a lot of time with me in hospital and we started making stuff together and, yeah. And so, Connor, how was that experience for you? I mean, that must have been pretty full on having your, your brother in hospital, but then I guess something kind of positive came out of it. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, he's, he's my big brother, you know. It was tough to see him sick. It was tough to see him in hospital. Um, you know, but at the same time, I could see he was making something great out of it. And he was always a creative guy, and he was able to, like, rediscover all these talents that he'd, he'd neglected through years of working in advertising. So I basically jumped on the bandwagon, I guess, and started making stuff with him in his, in his hospital room. By jumped on the bandwagon, I think what Connor's saying is that he spent, he would come in and spend like three or four hours in a quarantine room that is one of the more dangerous places to spend any time in. 
And, I, and like anyone who came into the room had to wear masks and like full on, you know, gear and gloves and everything like that. And he'd, the visiting times are only supposed to be like 15 minutes a visit and he'd literally sit there for three and a half hours. I think it's a good thing he was a stuntman. Well, I remember once we, like, we came up with this idea for um, a little webisode where we were trying to... Christian had a really big gay audience and we were trying to appeal to his gay audience. It's because I'm hairy. No, no, it's because he's an otter. And we said, Picture like, him swimming on his back. And we said, like, how can we appeal to this yeah. gay audience? What's the gayest thing that straight people do? So we decided to have an MMA fight in the hospital room. And Christian's secret move was that he, he was sick and he could cough on me. And we needed him to cough on me to get the shot. And, and he was, I was trying really to cough, sick. but hold back, you know, from actually spreading the infection. <laughs> but he coughed on me several times. But I was okay. Yeah. yeah. For now. Yeah. It can take a long time to kick in. How was the hospital staff during all this? Were they sort of supportive of all of you? I mean, you were in there for like a year. They were, yeah, the hospital staff were really good. You were about to say something. I was going to say they were awesome. Yeah. Like, Did they, yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, they were like, they were just happy that I was entertained because there, were, there was a period, you know, there was a, it's, it wasn't all fun and games and making videos in there. There was like a big dark patch where I would be um, banging on walls and trying to get out of there and going through like some pretty dark moments as well. So when we started making stuff together, they were kind of just happy that I was happy. And I think it also meant that they didn't have to pay as much attention to me because that's the other thing is like <laughs> hospitals, the, everybody works in hospitals, which is nurses and doctors are all amazing, but they've got so many people they need to take care of at any one time that I think that were just cool, like, oh, yeah, he's all right. He's if, just... if you're bouncing off the walls and making videos and stuff, you, you're probably not close yeah. to death. The guy in the room next door to me who was, like, 77 was less keen on me making rap videos all the time <laughs> because I'd be, like, in the, be the middle of the night in the hospital and I'd be going, yeah, I'm sick and I'm fully sick. And I'd, he'd be just banging on the wall going, shut up, shut up. But um, I think he died, so... Was, uh... Which is sweet. No, no, I'm just kidding. He's all right. Circle of life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, so, Nick, a lot of people might not realise that you actually sort of had your breakout success with uh, a video or a, a, an animated series that you made called Beached As. Yeah, that's right. And if you remember that video, I certainly remember. It was kind of in the um, early days of, of YouTube, and I remember when that video kind of went viral. I mean, did you expect it to be so successful? Oh, no. At, like, absolutely not. I mean, we came up with that little idea about a whale being beached on a beach and we were originally going to like make a massive paper mache whale that we we're going to put on Bronte Beach and I was going to climb in it and go, oh no, I'm beached. But then when we were making the paper mache whale, it got like infested with ants. So we decided to animate it instead. Yeah. But no, absolutely no expectation that it did what it did. It was kind of Did you of use crazy. like chocolate instead of paper mache? No, no, we used, you know, like we had, we went to Ikea and bought those big lights. Do you know those kind of big kind of paper mache lights? And we were trying to cut those up and put flour and water mix. It was just, it was a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> just do the voice, man. <laughs> yeah, just do the voice. But yeah, had had no expectation whatsoever, no. And, I mean, what was the YouTube landscape like back then? Because now it's, it's, you know, it's quite lucrative for people and everyone's trying to make the next big thing or the next big video or the, or the channel that's going to get a zillion subscribers. But back then it must have been quite sort of a lot quieter. What motivated you to kind of move into that space? Well, at the, at the time, the last thing I thought I would really do was ever act or perform or animate or 
ever do voiceover or anything like that. So it was just the only platform that existed at that time that I could distribute it on because I did never thought I'd do TV or any of that kind of gear. So it was what was available to me at the time and, yeah, it was one of the first little things that I felt, you know, coming from Australia that were viral. It was just, it was just a weird and wonderful experience. But that was at that particular time and even when we first started putting stuff online, like it was a lot easier to for people to click on something and share something. Like, there yeah. is so many hours of content going up on YouTube now, and there's so many videos all the time that I think it's a little... Nick's actually responsible for something that he doesn't like claiming responsibility for a lot as well, which is a very dubious character from Punchbowl named Trent. Yeah. Which, yeah. Trent... 99% of Australia think that Trent is a real person. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry if I spoiled that illusion for anyone. He's like the... He's like the crack fairy... Like, like the tooth fairy for adults. Yeah. Just do the voice, yeah. man. <laughs> nah! That's the voice of that one. <laughs> That's that voice. But yeah, that actually, we released that a couple of months after Beach Daz, and that kind of went viral as well. So it was quite funny having these, like, parallel videos of Beach Daz and Trent from Punchy doing their thing. It was quite surreal. Really surreal. That's the thing. It's such, like, a strange mix of what makes something go viral and... Constantly advertisers are saying, like, what's going to make... This is going to be a viral campaign. They call that before it goes viral. And no one really quite understands the mix. And I'm not even sure that, that... Oh, well, I definitely don't. But these two guys, they've both just released loads and loads of viral videos. And there's something in their makeup that pre-describes them. Well, Christian's is obvious that pre, what pre-describes him to viral success. But there's something <laughs> oh, about these guys. Yes. Zing. Yeah. I, there's something about these guys. They just keep making uh, viral successes. But I reckon it, it could be just... Well, it's, it's a little bit chancy. It's just that I've put out so much that you play the maths game, something will get picked up. That's kind of how I've viewed it. So there's no particular ingredient necessarily. It's just more like just so much stuff has sucked and then a few little things have, have worked, maybe. Yeah, but sometimes, like, you put up a video on a channel and the new video piggybacks on the success of the last right. video, but it's like Nick had... Um, Trent from Punchy on one channel, and then he had Beach Daz on another channel, and no one knew it was the same, same guy behind it, you know? Yeah. Just a particular brand of humour that just resonates with people, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, so then the series gets picked up by the ABC. What was it like making the jump from web to, to television? Oh, it was great in terms of, like, how my mother viewed what I was doing with my life as a 28-year-old man at that point in time. She was still wanting me to finish my arts degree. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, we've got this series now with, with the ABC. And mum was like, really? Ooh. So it was a little bit. And at the time, you didn't say, and mum, I'll be dressed as a caveman 69ering one of my friends yeah. in about three months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that was just a wonderful experience. And the, the process was very much the same. We made 10, uh, in fact, 21-minute cartoons. So it was a very simple writing process. You need to find a little kernel of an idea that you just repeat 23 times for 60 seconds and then you have a one minute cartoon series but it was kind of funny because the merchandise thing happened as well we super picked up the the t-shirt and we sold a hundred thousand t-shirts from a youtube video which was just really weird so then how did you guys all then come to collaborate I suppose, to create what ended up becoming Bondi Hipsters. Mm. Um, Nick and I were like on the... We, we both got invited to a YouTube conference to talk about our different YouTube situations. It was like a thing like this where Nick was talking about Beach Daz and I was talking about the Fully Sick Rapper thing. 
And then um, afterwards, over coffee, Chopper was there too. That's where we met Chopper. Where is he? There he is. Chopper, um, yes. And um, we, we kind of just got talking afterwards and, you know, um, I went home and I said to Connor that I met the guy who made Beach Daz and Trent from Punchy and look at his stuff and all this kind of thing. And it just happened to be at a time when Connor and I had won this film contest called The 180 Project and we'd won a $180,000 budget to make a pilot for MTV. Um, for this idea that um, Connor, you know, cooked up predominantly based on a story of a guy in hospital who gets... St- it's a familiar story of a guy who gets stuck in hospital with How tuberculosis. How did you come up with that idea? <laughs> and he escapes to a fantasy world on his laptop. But we there was this one role for a character named Dexter who's like the kind of bad guy in it and we thought that Nick would be perfect for that role. Apparently um, I've got the moral and sexual ambiguity thing down. <laughs> well, th- so. this one character had like a David Bowie-esque um, alter ego on the internet and we thought that Nick nailed that. But I don't have, quite have the... If you do, do you guys know The Labyrinth and David Bowie in The Labyrinth? Yeah. Well, I don't quite have the plums for, for that particular character. Yeah, that's what the art department was for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really quite fun. It was my first proper TV thingy. It was, it was awesome. That was kind of where we all worked together for the first time and um, had a great time doing so. And um, from then, we just wanted to make more stuff together. And that's kind of where Bondi Hipsters started, really. Frankly, after that. also, in and amongst that, I was creatively courting Christian. Like, I was like, hey, let's hang out. Let's, maybe we should get a coffee and just do something together. And I really pushed that quite hard. I was almost a creep. So just keep that in mind as well. He's been quite kind. Yeah. But that was the first time we actually ever had money to do anything. And at the time, like $180,000, it seemed like this bottomless pit of money <laughs> that we could do anything with. But, you know, it's, it definitely wasn't what we thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> But never, that was a really never cool... Never quite bottomless, is it? Well, it was a cool experience to actually get to, like, um, work with and pay people. I know Connor really enjoyed the experience of... Uh, at first, he was like, I can't wait to call up the stunt guys and get them to, audi- <laughs> get them to audition because we've got money to spend. And then we ended up having to ask all his stunt friends to work for free because the money <laughs> didn't go far enough. Um, but, yeah. No, that was... It was, a, it was also cool just to get to work with people whose work we admired and... Um, it's funny because that's also how we kind of started working with Greg, who's here, um, who became our development guy at the ABC um, and worked on Soulmates later. But I suppose we, I'm jumping things. <laughs> so next you created the Bondi Hipsters. How did that come about? I mean, I imagine you would sort of sit around and, and be observing people and their kind of social state and, and making kind of characters in, in your head all the time. But why did you decide to... I suppose, pursue the Bondi hipsters. I'd been living in Bondi and had been doing a lot of kind of people watching. Um, I was, I'd been living there for about three years, I think, um, before I, got, or, like a couple of years before I got sick and then a little bit afterwards. But the, one of the things I found interesting about Bondi was like how hard everybody tried to make it look like they don't try hard to do anything. Like um, everybody takes about an hour and a half to get ready to make it look like they got ready in five minutes. And everybody talks about how they want to change the world and fix everything, except they also drive Jeep Wranglers and smoke cigarettes and, you know, snort um, Mexican cocaine on the weekends. And um, there was kind of a lot of things that I thought were, seemed 
kind of strange about that lifestyle. And so we just started talking amongst ourselves and cooked up a couple of characters that we thought, you know, would be fun to, to shoot some stuff around. But the, the fun thing about Bondi Hipsters was because we'd gone to all these YouTube conferences where people had talked about, oh, you want to put out regular content, you want to have stuff that you can do weekly and wants to be stuff that you can produce and make happen easily, that by having these two guys talk on a couch, it was just a way for us to shoot a lot of videos in a short amount of time and then kind of cut them out and put them, put them out regularly. Um, and so kind of YouTube for those characters became a way for us to establish their story of them wanting to start this fashion label uh, and then just have them talk about it on a couch and never actually do it. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's, let's move on to your um, current project, of course, which is Soulmates. Um, the, the friendship you all share obviously plays a, a pretty big part in, in the work that you've been creating together. So was Soulmates the kind of natural evolution of that friendship for you guys? I don't think that was intentional, but it's certainly nice... But Soulmates is a very toxic friendship, isn't it? And I like to think that ours isn't so toxic. Yeah, it's definitely less toxic. I think one thing we established between Dom and Adrian is that Adrian would probably do a whole lot better in life without Dom. And that kind of found its way, maybe kind of guided a few of the other relationships in the other worlds, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think it was kind of natural the way the relationship works on screen and that it's a bromance like that was kind of territory that we covered but it also just seems like if you've got two main characters that the the main thrust of the show should be the relationship of those two main characters and you know whether that's a romance or a bromance um there was a lot of fun really romance bromance etc etc i Keep on going. No, but it's generally... One of the interesting things <laughs> was trying to come up, because if you don't know the characters, they're continually reincarnated across uh, different time periods. And one of the interesting things to play with was, like, what is the essence of this friendship and what makes it toxic and why does one continually drag the other down? And it's generally that Christian's characters are dragging Nick's characters down. Yeah. Which definitely. is the opposite in real life. Yeah. Um, which is really quite, it's quite strange. No, no, no. He's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. <laughs> and so, um, coming from developing Bondi Hipsters for the web, you're now working on um, a project that you were developing specifically for television. Did that change the way you approached the whole process? Or I, I will just talk first. And I realised during the Soulmates process that I was not at that point a writer for TV. I certainly, when we came into the development of the stories for Soulmates, having come from web world where I can swear down a webcam or teabag something or just come up with a vague idea that you shoot and deliver it, that kind of doesn't work for TV at all. So when we started having to honour character, honour story, honour an audience, I kind of was like, Christ, this is really hard. So, um, yeah, I kind of realised at that point I wasn't ready to write TV, which is where these two very bright human beings come in. Yeah. But we kind of went through a big process of, like, we, because we'd been making stuff for the web and writing short kind of three, four, five-minute videos all the time um, and seeing that, that that is what, you know, short content is shareable online and is nice and easy to watch online and stuff like that, we kind of wanted to make sure that our TV show, although it had like a long, you know, narrative arcs for all the different characters and every character had a story type thing, wanted to make sure that you could still break it up and people could enjoy little short moments on their own. 
Um, and so we ended up in a place where we kind of have these four stories with the, each of them having their own kind of narrative arc across all six eps, but we also have little bits that can be broken up. And cave, the cavemen characters of Soulmates also are quite disconnected. <laughs> like, they're the ones who don't really have an ongoing story so much as we're just kind of seeing these little moments of the first time that two guys did this or the first time that two guys tried that when there was no societal pressure to be a certain way or to act a certain way or no rules had been established. But it's also the insane time pressure. It's just crazy. And the hours that we had to do were just insane. Like the shooting schedule was like unfathomable. I just can't imagine that you would willingly subject yourself to that unless you absolutely have to and you have people breathing down your neck. And other thing, though, is it's just when you're working in television as opposed to the web, um, it just became a, an even bigger collaboration for us. And we had other people brought on that were experienced in television, like Greg Waters and um, Duncan Sarkis, who's a guy that wrote for the Concords, was part of our... Um, it was like a script editor. But it's just great to experience that collaboration because uh, it is... Like, people always say film's a big collaboration, but they always say that because it's true. And the other thing is, like, yeah, Chloe, who was our producer, like, we were used to be able to go, all right, we'll write this script, we'll just call up some friends, they'll come and help it. Like, we're going to shoot next Tuesday, we'll just call a few people, they'll come over and give us a hand kind of thing. And then, you know, the other thing with the ABC, and I suppose the thing about ethical work is that you want to pay people <laughs> and you don't want to, you know, you, you, want, you want to be able to, everyone to be able to kind of... Um, gain from working with you as well but so it also would become this thing where we realized oh if we have this idea we can't really do that for the budget because we can't just get some people to do that yeah we need but to. we like um we had a limited budget and stuff and the, uh, we had a great producer that helped us stretch that budget but one thing we also found was that if um other creatives like uh, special effects guys, sound designers, if they like your idea and what you're doing is fun, then they want to go a lot further for you for the money. Like if you've got like Hadoukens and lightsabers or cavemen 69ing each other or whatever, people will do more for you. Like <laughs> Everyone wants to work on that. <laughs> well, the Bondi hipsters were um, two of the, of the four, well one set of the four characters that, that feature in Soulmates. Yeah, and I, I suppose this kind of allowed you to take those characters a little bit further this time as well. Yeah, because that was the fun thing about... The thing about Bondi hipsters, we'd always just had them sitting and talking, you know, rubbish on a couch. And for ages, we've, like, sat on this idea of their fashion label and their, their, their designs that they're coming up with and what they're doing. And Soulmates has kind of become an avenue for us to explore that and also just to execute some bigger scenes... Okay, so um, why don't you walk us through, I suppose, the process of, of each character's create, creation, because they're all quite different. Um, and as you say, you have managed to kind of link them through this kind of greater story arc, but, I mean, you sort of, you've got cavemen, you have Kiwi assassins, you, you have the hipsters, of course, and then, you know, it, it's, all, it's all quite different. Yeah, it is, it is quite weird. I remember, I wonder... I'm just trying to think whether we came up with those... I can kind of remember... Well, Kiwis came from Nick's fascination with um, New Zealanders and the New Zealand accent, yeah. which you can see, and beach stairs. I was walking through Auckland once, and I just get these pangs of love for Kiwis because they're the friendliest and most... Just such good eggs. And I pictured these two really friendly Kiwis as assassins having to try and kill people. It's just their job, you know? I've got to go call someone... I'm afraid this is the end of the road, bro. Oh, no sweat. 
And I just love that idea, you know? And but that was the basic concept, was that there'd be two nice Kiwis that would have to, um, you know, kill Australians. Yeah. But um, from there, we developed this character, Thinge, who was a bit like the by-the-book kind of guy crossed with a, with a psycho from one of those 80s movies. And, and then Roger Blade, who we based a little bit on... Um, Roger's one of my favourite characters, so is Thinge actually, but yeah. we based him a bit on Taika Waititi's character from Boy and we kind of thought of him as a Maori Mel Gibson and we watched Lethal Weapon and we kind of based him on the typical, like, the, the loose cannon trope. Yeah, it's great. And the, the cavemen were kind of just... Uh, that was something we'd been throwing around for a while. Again, I think that was one of Nick's early ideas, yeah. but we just sort of thought it'd be funny to see a couple of cavemen who just talk casually like modern guys but who... Um, have, you know, the, the, a realistic angle on the world in that they're the first people to do everything. And that kind of felt like it was an ongoing, um, something that provided comedy. And then we decided one should be really stupid and the other should be the straight man. And there's a book called Clan of the Cave Bear, um, which is a really good book, but um, it's about like a Cro-Magnon, um, a woman who's a Cro-Magnon living in a tribe of Neanderthals. And so we had this idea for the friendship where one's a Cro-Magnon and one's a Neanderthal. Guess which one's a Neanderthal? <laughs> Rocky. Um, and then Travel Time. Travel Time, yeah. Um, those characters, yeah, it was, the basic concept was that someone gets, goes away to a management retreat and they come back a robot. And, um, you know, we tried to base it in something really human, which is just, you know, those old mates from school who, you know, start a certain job and you don't recognise them from who they once were. And all of a sudden, they're drinking at st coffee at Starbucks and talking to you about Australian Idol and dating a girl called Heather. And but also, just from an aesthetic point of view, like um, it, the, tra the time travel thing provide Con's a big fan of sci-fi time travel stuff, and that was one of the ideas that he cooked up for the show. And it, it, it also just gave us an avenue to play around with time travel conundrums. So once we got through setting up, you know, Rob going away and coming back as Robos and him and Dave working together, the rest of the season is just basically them dealing with all these time, time problems. And it just gets messier and messier as the season goes yeah. on, really. And one of the themes for the time travel world is, like, the future that we, or Connor mainly conceived, was that it was the byproduct of all of the right-wing conservatives' fears. So it was a, a woman-run world. And, you know, met like heterosexuality was the minority and so on. And I thought it was a really, really nice way to kind of frame that, frame that well, yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> and so um, with all of these different stories being set in such different time periods and things, what is your writing process like then? Do you kind of try and nut all the episodes out at once? Are you working on one particular um, storyline at a time or...? How does the, that work? The writing process, hopefully um, with season two, it'll be a lot more lean, but we basically approached it. We didn't know what the show was when we started writing it at all. Um, and, you know, Greg Waters really helped us with that. But, but we, we got to like a funneling process. We had loads of ideas for different times. And these were the ones that were, the, the characters seemed to be the most magnetic and it seemed to be the most... Um, based the most in something kind of really really tangible and easy to under, understand. Um, but basically we'd all have these long meetings where we'd just kind of spitball ideas and we'd all just throw stuff out and um, we'd basically all plot story and then Christian and I would go away and write it and 
I would write Kiwis and travel time. Christian would write hipsters, and then we'd um, collaborate on cavemen. And we'd constantly get emails from Nick, going, you know, this this guy should go down on this other guy, or like, we got to get a goat involved, or like. Pretty much it. <laughs> That's pretty much what I did. But it was fe- we were getting um, constant feedback and constantly kind of workshopping the stories um, through the whole process. The thing that I found interesting, which was different to the way that we'd been doing online stuff too, is like you'd, you'd have to write, the, you'd write this much and then you'd chuck out that much and just keep that much and then you'd write that much and then you'd chuck out that much and just keep that much and then you'd write that much again and so you're constantly like just writing way more than you need and throwing it out. I think that was partly due to us trying to, you know, work out the format and find the format as we were going, but it was also... Um, I guess that's also what you do. But it's kind of nice, like, stuff just ends up a bit layered and with, like, you can watch the eps a couple times because there's lots of, there's more ideas in there than there is time to really... Notice those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like you were taking a bit of a risk, I guess, with all of these um, different ideas in in the one show? Were you worried that people might just not get it? Funnily enough, we pitched them all separately. We originally went into the ABC and were like, here's... They, they said, oh, do you want to come in and pitch something? And um, so we came in and we pitched four different shows and then we were like, or there's this show called Soulmates that's all four of them in one. And at the time we pitched it, we were like, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be like halfway between a, a sketch show and a narrative comedy kind of thing. And then we thought, yeah, that's cool because we, we only have to write five minutes of each story in every app. And then it got harder um, and it became a lot more intricate and complicated to be able to make that have a clear narrative and have a clear, you know, give it... Give, make, keep it entertaining the whole way through and for no one of those I suppose that's one of the things the ABC were really um, really strict on us with was that every story deserved to be there and that every moment and every different set of characters was funny in their own right. I'm wearing one of those shirts that busts open at the I keep getting paranoid that I've got little hairy skin patches sticking out of my shirt but um, yeah <laughs> um I wasn't worried about people not getting it. I think Christian and Nick had the same concern at one stage, but we were worried that people might not feel that we're doing the reincarnation thing justice by keeping it a, a reasonably small focus and not having loads and loads of stories. But we kind of worked out that if we had loads and loads of stories over, over different times, not only would it become incredibly unproducible, um, what would happen is it would just feel like a sketch show. And from the outset, we are all clear that we didn't want a sketch show. We wanted something... Uh, that was every story had an arc and had a depth of thought that went into each character that a lot of sketch shows wouldn't necessarily have. Do you have favourites, favourite characters to to play or to to write for? Kiwis were my favourite ones to play. (laughs) Love Kiwis. Get a dirty little moustache and a gun with a silencer and I get to be a psychopath as a Kiwi though. Yeah. Yeah, I love, um, I love Kiwis, cavemen, but I also love, I love hipsters. The time travel guys, I really like the concepts, but I'm not sure the characters came through as strongly as the other ones, but there's something, um, there's something about Dom and Adrian. It's just so, like, Dom is so... Adrian's so clearly deeply in love with Dom and just not quite understanding that completely. And I just love Dom's pointy beanie and just seeing <laughs> Christian kind of moping around as Dom. Like, I just... Dead eyes so and pointy beanie. It's, just, it's perfect. But the guys as well, when they're acting, they're super safe in those characters and nothing they do ever breaks those characters. So um, they're, they're great in the, um, in the editing room. Our mums, our mums are Kiwi as well. So we, 
There's a in our household actually, Connor and I, our dad's South African and our mum's a Kiwi. <laughs> and so like the Tri Nations thing in our house was just hectic. Because me and Con and our brother would all be like wallabies, wallabies, and then you got a South African throwing swords across the room going for the going but for the spring box. We all love Kiwi Kiwis. Box. And I think in Kiwi Assassins, like a lot of it is kind of making fun of fun of Australians as much as Kiwis. Um, like they consider us really kind of racist. Um, and I mean, we've all been obsessed with the New Zealand accent at different parts, at different times in our lives. I just, they always say potentially. I find that really interesting that they say yeah. potentially. Like and Cole. Cole. Victor. Cole. We kind of had to make my character a half Maori because it's the only Kiwi accent I can do. <laughs> so. This is the only one I can do. Kind of goes up in the register. But yeah, it's. Otherwise, I might not be, the character might not have had the path that, that he had if I was better at acting. Well, I guess just um, to wrap up, my, my final question for you guys would be that I suppose, um, you know, you've spoken a little bit about the sort of ideas and, and, and sort of theories going through Soulmates. Apart from creating something that was essentially entertaining, what, what did you set out to achieve with Soulmates, with the series? I know one thing that, that we wanted to do from the start was make a comedy that wasn't really like other um, comedies. I don't know that everybody who has a comedy kind of says that, but we just wanted to do jokes that other networks wouldn't let us do, and we wanted to push, push boundaries that we might not have been able to do with other networks. And part of the cool thing about working with the ABC is that they were really supportive of that the whole way. And something that's really cool about ending up on ABC2 is that there wasn't heaps of like ratings pressure or anything like that, so we could kind of get away with things. So yeah, I wanted to make a great comedy, but one that would, one that we'd be able to tell jokes that are the kinds of jokes that we like, you know, in in other people's work. And and I know my favourite comedy is like South Park and some of Sasha Baron Cohen's stuff and you know early Will Ferrell stuff, and that they, they tend to tell jokes that that you know, in those types of comedies that we don't tell a lot in Australia. And so we just wanted to... That's, that's a really long answer of that. No, and also, like, talk about some of the ideas. Like, this is probably an answer to your previous question about what influenced Soulmates, but we find ourselves in these quite deep and esoteric conversations about past lives, future lives, other planets, the universe... Politics. Literally, like, everything. And... Without, without meaning to, it's kind of spilt in there a little bit. We don't talk to it, don't write to it necessarily, but it's definitely found its, its way in there, you know? I guess. Yeah, what I was kind of hoping we'd come up with as well as like something that's a bit of like, a, um, I guess like a, a palate cleanser or something, for something that feels really fresh. And um, yeah, something, I, I guess when you're creating a show or whatever, you're just creating something for yourself, something that you as an audience member would find really funny. But that's what I love about Soulmates is no one person could have made it and it's the product of us three and a bunch of other people. But that's what I think is really kind of organic and cool about it is it comes from, you know, the imaginations of three people who are pretty, um, pretty absurd Pretty different, really, as well. Yeah. yeah, we all have very different sensibilities. But so there's like some real, you know, there's some epic action stuff in there that starts to kick in tonight and in the next couple of episodes, things get quite action heavy and there's a lot of random kind of weird things and a lot of kind of really out there things and just and then a lot some of mu musical. Like Christian's really into music, like he'd take the music videos and he'd cut them himself and 
Um, he wrote all the songs, and yeah, the musical influence is really, really fun as well. They put a leash on me. I only let me do songs in the first three apps, so no more songs. <laughs> no. We just started running out of pages, really. And sanity. What was life on set of Soulmates compared to Sick or just YouTube videos? Like, was it fun, bubbly? It, yeah. The set on Soulmates was quite extraordinary, actually. It was brilliant. We, we ended up, by the time we started shooting, we had a bit of a family, really. Like, we, everyone knew and liked each other, and it was genuinely a positive environment. I'm kind of not just saying that to be politic. It was just sick. Yeah, normally right. there's like a gaffer or someone that's a really bad egg. <laughs> it's just like toxic, but our whole crew was, was like, all good vibes. Our yeah. whole crew was really awesome. And these guys, they'd make up a lot, they'd improvise a lot. And it was a pretty kind of free space. Um, and we tried to keep it a space that was conducive to that kind of, um, that improv style and stuff like that. But at the same time, it was incredibly traumatic. The last hour of every day, like every day was like, yeah, everyone's like, hey, hey, good times. Yep, we're all done. The last hour every day was like, oh, this is so much fun. We've got we four should... scenes to shoot in an hour or, you know, it was pretty hectic. But um, the onset vibe in general was really fun and everyone got along well. And I mean, I got really used to being naked really quickly. Yeah. It was really weird because I just like the first few days I was a little bit like shy and getting changed and things like that. But then as soon as there was one of those scenes that was a full nude scene, I was just kind of like get naked all the time. Yeah. I feel like all the, all the caveman stuff must have been quite freeing for you though because you were like legging it through the forest and stuff like that wearing not much. But we were getting there. At, I'd have to get there at 4.30 in the morning and, and we'd be, we were shooting at... at um, where were we shooting, Caveman? In Wurunga. Wurunga. Yeah. And, like, standing on cold rocks, like, wearing nothing but a fox head at 4.30 in the morning, getting made up and getting a brow put on. And it was, yeah. that was pretty full on. But it was fun. It's fun. Had to put on a skin-coloured G-string and then sit in... It was just... It wasn't cute. It really mm. wasn't cute for the wardrobe people. They had to get pretty intimate with our bits. Yeah. But, yeah, the costume designer, it was kind of his concept, and he said... We don't have a lot of money, but nudity looks expensive, so that was kind <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. deal. And I had some tattoos to cover, and that had to spray me every morning. That's, an, that's probably the time I regretted my tattoos most, was uh, on set there, having to get 4.30 a.m. spray downs with freezing cold makeup. Um, yeah, hi. I um, was just wondering, how long did it take till, like, with the creative process, writing it, brainstorming, to then pitching it? Pitch um, happened first. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of pitched it without having a full, without fully having conceived the idea. But that, that yeah. was kind of interesting because our pitch, like we got invited in there based off the back of what Bondi Hipsters had done and, and Sick that, that the guys at the ABC had seen as well. So there was kind of a faith in, in wanting to work with us and a faith that we'd kind of grown an audience for the, these characters. So when we pitched... When we pitched the idea, it wasn't fully formed, but we went into development. And it was probably the main period of working on the idea was from, the, from getting signed on to development to actually getting the show commissioned. And there was about a year and a half of that. But the thing is, with, um, with this stuff, like it always feels... Like, I'm sure you know if, if you're a creator, but it always feels like just in front of you. So you don't, I don't want to tell you how long it, it takes because it always feels like it's just there. And if it didn't, you wouldn't do it because... It takes yeah, a long if time. If they told you, you this development will be a year and a half, you'd go, I'm just going to get another job. But no, no, it's, it, it was 
Yeah, that, it always that was the longest around bit. Around the corner, you know, and we always kind of thought we were close, but it was this continually, uh, continual kind of f- funneling process till we ended up, you know, where we needed to be. Hi, um, just want to know if you can reveal what's happening next for you guys, or is it top secret? Ooh. Well, um, are we allowed to say? Yeah, we're, we're in developing season two, yes. which is really fun. So we just had a week uh, on Scotland Island with. Uh, Greg, our development and kind of our surrogate father and um, spent four days developing what the, the next season might look like and it it's, feels pretty fun already. We obviously have a long way to go, but yeah. yeah. But development's probably the best. I find it the funnest stage, actually. Yeah. Just sit around and eating like pistachios and talking for <laughs> eight hours a day with people that you like. And you go, well, I think we get paid for it. Yeah, I, d- I don't care. Look at me. <laughs> I just don't care. <laughs> and maybe a second, uh, th- there are other, we're all developing other things as well outside of that, but yeah, stay on theme. Developing more things. So um, has there ever been a joke that you guys thought was just too far that you just didn't agree on something that you thought was hilarious that one of you went, nah, no way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. there's been a few of those. There's I don't even know if... They, these, some of these jokes are so bad that I wouldn't let Nick say them. It's all Nick, really. It's, yeah, it's, all, all, it's all so often. <laughs> there's safe. a particular scene tonight where it's, it's not okay. It is not okay at all. But, but Nick wanted hilarious. to have another three minutes of it. I was of this fighting so joke. hard for this to be. Can we ruin it? No, I don't want to ruin nah, it. No, don't ruin it. Are you gonna... It's this thing of if something's really boundary pushing and we think it's kind of grounded in an idea that makes a good point, then we do it. Yeah. But this doesn't make a good point. <laughs> no, this doesn't. But that said, I think something does happen when you're sitting around and going, should we actually do this idea? And people are like, oh, man, I, I, I just don't that's, know. I don't that's know. actually part of the thing of, like, working with Nick um, and that you learn after a while is that Nick will come up with an idea for a joke like this and then you need to spend weeks trying to find a story reason to justify doing yeah. that thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm a liability, absolute <laughs> and, liability. Well, no, it's, it's, it's part of, like, what Connor was saying before of, like, it being great that the show has flavours of all three of us, but that's, that's the thing Connor works really hard on is, like, making sure that there's not a joke that is just a rude joke, that that rude joke has a... Has a character reason, a story reason, or a message underneath it kind of thing. I usually end up conceding, like, at some point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, Chop, in answer to your question... Yeah, there's heaps, yes, I'll tell you heaps, afterwards. Heaps and heaps. But something does happen when you shoot it and put it on a screen. It feels a little bit more distant to, uh, I guess, how the idea was conceived, so it softens up a little bit. It's kind of it's tone. A fa- it's a funny one. With cavemen, if we deal with something a bit whimsically and the tone is kind of light, you get away with more. But that said, uh, the series does get very dark in F5. <laughs> yeah, and weird. there is a bunch of jokes that we've had to go, nah, nah, can't do that. The only reason I'm not telling you what those jokes are is because we swore PG. Yeah, we <laughs> said, yep, it'll be PG. Thank you so much, guys. It's been awesome. It's thank been you. Thanks, guys. You've been on. Thank you so much. And honestly, thank you very much for watching, if you've been watching Soulmates. Thank you. And congratulations on season two. That's amazing.